Hello and welcome to I Migrate, the podcast, the show where we'll be sharing the stories and experiences of people who have migrated to the UK from countries across the world. Whether they are escaping conflict, in search of education opportunities, or looking for adventure, they all share the similar challenges of having to assimilate to a new country and culture. To kick this off, I'll be talking to Lame Kondegum, a longtime friend of mine who I've known since we both migrated from Kenya. We'll both be sharing our experiences of migrating to the UK. Lamek, welcome to the show. Come on, go on, Thank introduce you. yourself. Thank you. My name is Lamek. I'm from Kenya. I've been in this country for nearly 32 years, coming 33 years, I think, to be precise. I came in 1989. So, Lamek, for someone who has never been to Kenya, uh, what can we tell them about Kenya? How, how, how can we frame this? Well... It's, it, all, it all depends with different people's experiences in Kenya, really, because it all depends on what, which part of the country you are, you are living in, it all type of uh, the society that you are in. I lived in um, a village when I was being uh, between the age of, I think, maybe five and six, seven, eight. I was, I was in, in the village. Then we moved from the village into town. So the experience that I had in town is totally different from my experience within the village. So... If someone wanted to know much about Kenya, it all, it all depends on who is telling that story. My story about Kenya, Kenya is a, is a wonderful place. Um, is I would say Kenya is poor but happy people. The things that we need in our life is different from what somebody might perceive Kenya to be. Because the, the image that we get of Kenya is that if, if someone was trying to tell Kenya to you, they'll show you either the good part of it or all the bad part of it, depending on what narrative they want to sell to you. So if someone is looking for funding, they'll show you the, the, the worst parts of Kenya, like Madare or children suffering, flies all over their place. But if someone wants to sell you um, a holiday, then they will, they will only show you the nice parts, Mombasa, high-rise buildings, and those kind of things. So it all depends on what are you looking for in that question. It's a very broad question. No, I know it's a very broad question, and um, and and I think it's a really good point that you brought there because I was brought up in Nairobi, the city, mm. and then I used to visit the village mm. where my parents were brought up, and those those were two completely um, different experiences. Mm-hmm. And um, just staying with that, I remember when I wanted to take um, my girls who were born here to mm. Kenya. Mm. I wanted them to see it from three different perspectives. So we went to the village. We did the city. We did uh, the Mombasa holiday and as well uh, the safari. So that gives you a very broad spectrum of what Kenya is about. So nobody can just go and put it, it is in one pocket. Um, you know, that is, uh, yeah, um, does make sense. Um Following on what you've you've just said, my my children used to ask me what Kenya is like before they went to Kenya. I'll give you an, an example of my son that before we went to Kenya with him, he had this image of what, of what Kenya is like. Even though I explained to him that we have internet, we have electricity, we have uh, running water, you can flush your toilet and those kind of, but he did not believe that because he had this image of what Kenya is like. Because what he always saw about Kenya is poverty. That's what 
is in his in his mind. So the moment he went to Kenya, all he was, where are we going to, where are we going to sleep? Is there, are there animals around? But that's the perception that he sold. That is what he thought he imagined Kenya would be like. So when he went to, when, when uh, we got to Kenya, we lived in a nice house. There was running water, there was internet, there was everything. So he thought, ooh. So, and then we live in a, a compound. We didn't live in a, a small house. We live in a massive compound. So that kind of changes perception of Kenya. On, on the other hand as well, on the way to this nice house, there were shacks, there were little little houses. So there's a mixture of both. Unlike the uniformity that you have in England where every house is more or less the, the same, you know, it's, it's standard to have running water. In Kenya, it's not standard. It all depends on how much you can afford. Can you afford that? Can you afford running water? Can you afford internet? Not everyone has internet as standard. Not everyone has electricity as standard. So it all depends on what kind of class you actually belong to. So that's the difference of, of uh, when someone asks you the question, what is Kenya like? So unless you go there and what type of uh, society you live in within that community, it's different. No, no, that, that totally, totally agree. And so why did you choose the UK? Were there any other countries that you looked at before you came to the UK? That's an interesting question because I never thought of coming to the UK at all. It was by default. Um, I was living in a small town called Kisumu. So it was Sunday afternoon. Uh, we were going to town with a few of my friends. And then we saw um, an advertisement, like a leaflet. Uh, saying West London College recruiting students, and they were at uh, they were meant to be at Sunset Hotel. So we thought, oh, what what's that about? So we went to Sunset Hotel with my with my friends to have a look at what is going on. It wasn't my plan to come to England to actually study, and um, um, we went to Sunset Hotel. Uh, we sit, we sat down and listened to the guys who were re- trying to recruit the students. So we thought, this is an interesting idea. Why don't we try it? I can remember the fees was about £1,195. To me, it didn't mean anything because I, I did not think of trying to convert how much money that was. So I thought, hmm, that sounds like a very good idea. And the perception of what I had about England, I thought it was this place where there is, um, there's money everywhere. You can go and just pluck money from a, a tree because that's the narrative that was sold to us. That is this land of gold. Everything is there. You can get whatever you need. So I didn't plan to come to England. That was just by accident that I went to that, uh, that uh, meeting and then I filled in forms. I didn't think much of it. And then a few months later, maybe about, I cannot tell you exact month it was, but about three or four or four months later, um, then I received a letter through post that, oh, you've been uh, admitted to West London College. And that's how my journey to England started. That's that's very interesting, very, very different from mine, because uh, my dad had been here in the 70s. So it was sort of um, something that we automatically, in our family, we we believed that our education will be beyond Kenya. And, um, but, but you're saying that it wasn't necessarily that it was going to be in the UK, because uh, my family had friends in Canada, in the United States, in Australia, in New Zealand, and it could have been any of those. But I think because we had this security or my parents had this security that my dad had been to the UK. So it meant that UK was seen more favorably. 
And uh, for me specifically, because my older brother had been here. So it was like, okay, he'd already been here. He'd settled. So it became an obvious place as a place to come and, um, you know, have our father, higher education. I believe you came, yeah, as, as you say, we people come for different reasons. It was higher education that I also came for. And it's quite interesting that actually we never met. We, we never met, well, wait, but it's, 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 it, it happens that we both, you know, ended up here just seeking higher education, isn't it? It is. It's, it's very interesting because I never thought of going to um, for further education at all abroad. It never, it, it, it never occurred to me that I, w- I would do that. But uh, it was just by chance, as I mentioned before, I didn't even think of the face of how am I going to raise that kind of money. Um, when I when I received that uh, letter is when I told my my uh, my my mother that uh, I've uh, received an offer to go to uh, England for further studies. So okay, so my my perception of of uh, further studies in England it would be going to a school like a, a secondary school or a university where you have dormitories and 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 halls and things as as we have it here in uh, University of um, Gloucestershire. But um, so I told my my mother that we need one thousand one hundred and seventy five pounds for for the fees. So then then she said, so so where are you going to actually live? You know, I said I think we're going to live in the university, the accommodation. That's what I thought. I was so naive, like I didn't read the small details. So anyway, I I received that letter, and then um, the only way we could communicate then is to write back because there's no way you can call. We never had phones that you can go and call people. So I wrote back and asked, oh, so can you give me the details? So what is this amount for? I want a breakdown. So this was only for tuition fee. So this was tuition fee for a year. So they wrote back and told me that uh, you have to arrange your own accommodation. So I started to wonder, so how much is it? So they told me, they gave me an approximate amount of how much would you be able to live on in, in one year. So that's how the um, the figure came out. It came to about uh, maybe about um, two thousand three hundred or something like that for the year. Tuition fee plus accommodation and living expenses and the rest of it. That's a really good point. So, did you find the international um office, or if there was one at the time, was that very helpful? You know, uh, when you're dealing uh, with the university at that point, it was um helpful. Uh, I must make the point, it wasn't a university, it was a college. Mm-hmm. Um, it was small. It was on top of uh, top of, of shops, Oxford Street. Um, that's why it was called West London College. Um, my, what they were selling to us, the, the, uh, the brochure that they actually showed us was not of the West London College, so which I, th- I think was about a bit deceptive. The images that they were portraying and selling to us as of West London College wasn't the image that we actually saw. I'm not complaining about that now, but because that was my route to England. Um, there was um, a representative for foreign students who I was liaising with. I can still remember her name. Somebody cook. I remember that. And um, we liaised with them. And what they could help us with is just to come to... But there was nothing like a visa. You didn't need a visa to come to England at that time. Once you've paid your your first term fees, you are ready to go. That's very interesting. Times have changed, isn't yes, it? Indeed. Oh, has changed so much. 
those days that you could just take a plane and land at Heathrow without yeah. any visa, not anymore. Can you tell me a little bit more about your final days um, in Kenya, just before you left? Very exciting, very exciting. I was saying bye to my mates. I was very, very excited because I didn't know what to expect. My, I used to imagine what England looks like because most of the movies we used to watch were from America. So my perception of England was the same as America. I was thinking it looks the same. It must be the same. It's abroad, so it must be the same. I wasn't that exposed at the time, but I didn't know the difference between... I knew that England is England, America is America anyway, but then I didn't know what it actually looked like. But then uh, the last few days and few weeks, I just spent time saying bye to my family members and my friends, and I planned to come and study for two years and go back to Kenya. So the last few months were just exciting, parties, saying bye to people, um, just having fun, really saying, telling them, I'll be back in, in two years' time. I'll see you soon. Oh, I remember my, my final days. I think, personally, I think uh, because my brother had already been here, so for me, he was uh, looking forward to meet him, but as well anxious not knowing really what what that means because you know leaving the safety net of your home and your parents and everybody that's taking care of you and having to go to this land that you know I've only read in books and I've only heard from my you know from my dad uh, where he and for me it was really really daunting yeah. I can't say um, the excitement was there that I was going for further education but at the same time I was worried of what it meant mm. uh, because, you know, okay, at home uh, in Kenya, knew, you know, you know, you are, you know, you know, everybody. And then having to live and, okay, um, I was coming to London, not even Oxford where my brother was living. So it's not like we were going to be in the same bubble in any way. So for me, I think I was more anxious than anything else thinking back. Mm. Uh, yes, there was excitement of having to leave home, but as well anxiety of what this really means. I think I was I, I was more excited because I thought that I thought that narrative that was sold to us that it's it's a land of gold. So I was saying I was going to better my family's life by coming to England and achieving so much and going back within two years and maybe building this mansion for for uh, for my mother. It's it just the thing that the things that are sold to you and you kind of believe them. And until you say it, you don't actually know what is the reality in life. But I was so excited. I couldn't wait to come to England. Oh, okay. Now we, if we just think about, okay, the move, you know, the move. Mm. Can you tell us a little bit more about how you're feeling when your first few moments after you landed in the UK? It was August 1989. I will never forget that. The first thing I landed, I mean, we came out of the plane and the first thing I felt, and for some reason, I don't know why, we we had to, because rarely when you land at Heathrow, you, there is a tunnel that you go through. You don't see the outside tarmac and things like that. But for some reason, uh, we came from the plane and and then there was a bus that we had to take us from, from the plane to some um, terminal. But the first thing I felt was this massive breeze that was so cold. But thinking of it now, it wasn't cold. But because I'm not used to that kind of weather, maybe it was about... 
15 degrees or something like that, or 16. That was very cold for me. So that was my first experience, the, that cold weather. And as I got out of the hotel, my, my uncle was supposed, somebody was supposed to be my uncle uh, because he lived within a radius of two miles of my mother's home. So we called him an uncle. So he was supposed to meet me at the, at the airport. So, um, it didn't turn up. I didn't know anybody. I just came with my rucksack, one rucksack with a few, a few uh, clothes in it. Um, what amazed me is when I came out, it's just a sea of white people because I've never seen a mass of that color in one place. So that kind of shook me. Think, ooh, that that is that is weird because then in Kenya you can see a mass of black people. That's all you see. And when I got out of the uh, <laughs> um, uh, through the, uh, uh, what do you call it, um, duty-free, as you come out where people are waiting, you know, arrivals. All I saw was a mass of what that shocked me. I think, where am I? Am I supposed to be here? So that really shook me. From there, um, I had to figure out, because I didn't know how to move about. and I, I knew where I was going to, had the address, how where I was going to. They had um, a map. They sent us the map of... Um, underground map. Mm. So I had to think very quickly and think, how am I going to get to this college? How am I to, going to get there? So I asked some, somebody who was there. It must have been uh, some security guy. Um, ask him, how do I get to this place? So he showed me, just go down there and take that um, train. It's uh, I think it was Jubilee Line, I think it was, and go to Jubilee. I, I had money. I think I had £322. I can never, never forget the amount of money. £325, sorry. Uh, it was still stamped on my old Kenyan passport. So I had money, sterling pounds. So I had to figure out how do I buy a ticket. So I, I, I just asked my way through. But on my way to the um, um, train station, what shocked me was seeing an Englishman begging for money. That shocked me. Mm. Absolutely shocked me because then I didn't expect that. I didn't expect to see someone that I, I held very highly thinking that, oh, this is the land of God. How could you be begging for, for money? So that's kind of something that shook me back a bit. Mm, I personally, I remember my first, just when I got landed, I lost my luggage. <laughs> <laughs> That was my first experience. Mm. First, you're cold, freezing cold, London in January. And then I lost my luggage. Uh, and then I spent the whole week having to visit the airport to try and find my luggage and with nothing else. So my first, first experiences of getting here, first week was not a good one. Uh, it was horrendous. Uh, uh, trying to cope, uh, knowing that, even nobody to tell you where to buy the warm clothes. You know, it was just daunting. Uh, and I can never forget that. It was, you know, you, you, you're expecting so much, but then when you see the reality of it, just think, what, what is this? It's I think I was a bit lucky because when I got to the station after experiencing this man begging for, uh, for money, um, I got to the, um, to the underground, that was amazing. That was fascinating. I could not figure out how a train could be going underground and just moving and there's, you couldn't <laughs> see anything. I was waiting to see the overground and see some buildings or anything, but nothing. I got to um, Oxford Station and got out of Oxford Station. I, I, I didn't see any any land at all. <laughs> I was lucky. So I got out of the station, asked somebody where is West London College and he showed me and mm -hmm. um, 
I thought I'd say maybe I'm I'm in the wrong place because mm-hmm. what I was expecting is to see a university with building, you know, like the typical um, Maseno High School or something or Maseno University or Nairobi University. But what I saw was just a West London College on top of on top on top of shops. So I went in there and um, I registered. I was excited, but I didn't know where I was going to stay. Luckily, I was quite lucky indeed. I was lucky indeed. I met three Kenyans who were registering at the same time as well. But then they had been here previously. This was their second term. So they were just registering for their courses. So I had them speak in Swahili. So I thought, this is my luck. So I went and asked them. Um, I've just come in. I think they could tell that I was so naive. And things like that. So they, they, they actually told me, look, if uh, if uh, you've just come in today, we'll uh, we'll uh, we'll show you around. I was so lucky with that. So I can remember very well. Moses was there, and um, Winston was there, and JMO was there. So there were three guys. They were, they were there, and they told me, guys, what we're we going to do with you? We'll take you to where we are living. I did not. I didn't look for a place to live. There was a house ready, waiting for a room, waiting for me um, in a lay, in a Leighton, not a Leighton, so Leighton. In Leighton, well, I cannot forget that house. One forty-four Grange Park Road. That was my first address. Wow! In England. Wow! So that experience was good for me because then I didn't have to struggle to find a place to stay. Mm. That is really different for me because I remember um, my brother was, as I said, I was living in Oxford, but my I was going to go to college in London. So there was no way there was a commute, it was a commutable space. Yeah. And um, when we, as you say, I think that that's something we have in common. I was expecting a college with a campus. Yeah. And then I come to this, uh, there were these private colleges or universities. And that, that really messed my head because I just thought, no, I did not come for this. Um, if you're asking me to pay all these fees, I came to experience a different type of education. And um, that was really disappointing at that time. Um, but, uh, but having to deal with my luggage through me anyway. <laughs> so I, could, I didn't have time to dwell and indulge in the moment of disappointment about the, you know, the college. Yeah. I just had to get on with it because first I needed to get my luggage to know that I've got warm clothes. And then, and you know, and just have to deal um, day day to day. Mm. But uh, what were the stark differences between the UK and Kenya that you notice at first? I think I think you've touched on it by mentioning about oh, seeing somebody begging at the tube station. What what what? Uh, and and you know, we've got this. Yes, we've already mentioned about the weather. So what other things? Yeah, the 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 most um. I think attractive thing to me was the how the system worked. I was very um, impressed by the manners of how people were driving on the road, mm. those kind of things, mm. and please and thank you. And uh, the system just worked perfectly because if you wanted anything, like um, I came with a, um, a Kenyan driving Kenyan driving license. And I thought I would I would use that because during that time you could drive with a Kenyan like even now you can drive with a Kenyan license for the first one year then you can um, uh, exchange it for a British one. So I just asked how how can I change that? And in Kenya, what would have happened then? I'm not saying Kenya is bad, but then the 
the system had is that you have to go through a very long process to get your license. So what happened here was that I just um, applied to DVLA and then, then about a week or two, I had my license back, the British um, license back. And it was so, it was very simple. The system worked perfectly for me. Uh, that was a, a difference in there. Culturally, I found it so different because um, on my first job, I used to work for Pizza Hut. Mm-hmm. My uh, manager was quite friendly with me and he, he invited me to his house. And I noticed the cultural difference because I went to his house maybe around, it was on Sunday around lunchtime. They were having their Sunday roast, what I, uh, I come to know it's a Sunday roast now. So I thought maybe they were having a feast for me because I was going there because of my culture. So I walked in and they were having a meal. So what I expected is for them to invite me to have a meal with them. But I, I just sat down, I waited for them to finish eating. That cultural difference <laughs> shook me. I thought maybe they didn't have enough or something, but even if we didn't have enough in Kenya, they would share whatever little they have with you. So having said that, that was that. So I didn't think much about it. So I invited him for a drink. Uh, we went to a pub. And then as we got into this pub, and um, he went to the counter and to the bar, what we call counter in Kenya. So we walked to the bar and he ordered his drink. And I ordered mine. And he paid for his drink and didn't pay for mine. I'm thinking, what's that about? You know, so he pays for his own drink and I pay for my own drink. But then the next one, I think, maybe I'm going to need to show him how we do these things. So I ordered for a drink. I bought him a drink. So oh, I'd love to buy you one back. I said, no, you don't have to buy me one back. This is our culture. This is how we do things. So the cultural difference is what um, surprised me a lot on how it's you go out for a drink with a friend and they buy their own drinks and you buy your own drinks. Unlike in Kenya, we buy things together. If if I say I'm taking you out, I'm paying for it. Yeah, that's, I mean, that's really, I was just thinking about it, this drinks issue. My cultural shock, and I think it took me such a long time, is that culturally, if you grow up in Kenya mm. as a woman, mm. going into a pub just like that mm. at the time was not acceptable. No. So for me, for a long time living here, I never went into a pub. Mm. I could never feel comfortable to do it. Mm unless I was with somebody else, uh, because that was a cultural thing that, you know, growing up, that was just not an automatic thing mm. that I would walk in any pub in Kenya. It was like, oh, no. Oh. And this reminds me even um, when my mom visited here, I remember one of the things she said is like she'd never been to a cinema. We took her out to a cinema because when she was growing up, it wasn't seen as a good thing as a young woman to do. Mm-hmm. So, and these are just, you know, just as more, it's cultural stuff yeah. that then influences what you do and, you know, the things that you take on. Um, so for me, socially, I think um, just looking at the social concept, I think that's one thing that, you know, you bringing that up, you know, going to buy a drink. Yes, when you go out with friend, eat out, or if people come and visit, it's always you share whatever you have. It's not, you know, um, I, I always find it, we've always found it strange, you know, yeah. when um, a guest come and then you can't just, you know, expect them to wait for you to finish. For your food, yeah. You know, <laughs> so I can see how how that must have been a shock at that time. 
Um, uh, but how is life now? What is your relationship with the UK versus your, you know, Kenya? Well, um, I'm wobbling along the fence on that. And I think that when I came to England, my my aim was to come to England for two years. That's, th- that's 33 years ago. Mm-hmm. Uh, finish my education, then go back to Kenya. And when I came to England, the reality hit after a few months that I have to pay for my own um, accommodation, I have to do this and I have to do that. So my aim was to study, but then we had to find a right balance of going to 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 study and work at the same time. And that's why I picked up that uh, part-time job at uh, Pizza Hut. But then the money was too sweet. So I started earning <laughs> more money. The more money and the less education I had. And then um, I kind of deferred my education for one year. When, when I first came to England, I was given three years visa. So I deferred my education for one year just to um, fund myself and fund my my mother back at home and my siblings. And um, that the plan I had just went out of the window totally. Um, so that from that point, my plan started to... <laughs> to move out of that track that I wanted it to be. So then I, I said, okay, I will carry on with my studies after two years. And that's how things started to move along. So I decided I'm going to stay in England until maybe about four years ago and I decided that I don't really want to be here for the rest of my life. I've experienced the life here. And um, the more I go back home, the more I connect with uh, with uh, England, but it's not for any other reason. I have my children here, which is wonderful. But the the the, the only thing that I look at is that I have a long even my children who were born here. Um, people, say, I think is the is the society thing. It's it's a it's a mindset. However much you feel part of England, the the natives don't make you feel part of it. Some mm, of them. Mm, mm. The system is not made to make you feel part of it. And you, however long you've been here, they, they will still ask, ask you, where are you from? Some people ask very innocently. They're just curious. They want to know. But some people ask with, a, with an ulterior motive. And that's why I feel that whenever I go home, I, I have that sense of belonging. Mm-hmm. When I go to the video, I think they will say, mm-hmm. oh, that's Islamic. That is so-and-so, son. Mm-hmm. You feel so welcome. You don't have these awkward questions to to answer it's difficult it's difficult so for me i feel more comfortable being in the village in mm. uh Nakach than um retiring and being looked after in uh, old people's home so i would be more comfortable in kenya than in england that is only a personal reason than anything else but uh, sometimes I always think, you know, because for me, um, um, and 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 for you, I believe is that uh, we've lived more in England than we've ever lived in Kenya. And um, looking back, I remember um, when 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 I tell the girls, um, my daughters about, remember when we used to watch Formula One on Sundays and watch Dallas mm-hmm. <laughs> and watch Manchester United. Liverpool, <laughs> Liverpool, you Liverpool. What uh, depending on wh- whichever, whichever team you are, you know, was playing that day, that day. But um, that community um, atmosphere did help us support unconsciously because that was not a conscious thing we did. People would just meet up on on Sundays, and you know, 
That is that that happened because we had a small community then. So we had we are you know this word birds of a feather flock together. It has a meaning. It has a reason why it it said. Uh, we what we were looking for people that we had the same interest with, and at the time we didn't have the responsibilities that we have now. Mm-hmm. When we were in Amen Corner, we could come and co- congregate in one place. Mm-hmm. We would share a bottle of wine, even if it was six of us, and it was enough. Mm-hmm. We had no responsibilities. We had. Um, no worries. And the only thing we shared is like common language. You could go there and speak Luo or speak Swahili and you could relate to these mm. people that you're actually meeting with. Mm. And that community spirit is not as much now as it used to be because I think people have their own families, their own responsibilities, their own priorities in, in life, which the older we get now, the more need I think we should have to um rekindle that kind of um, community that we had then. But having said that, I think that the only reason why I think we used to meet that time because we didn't we didn't have any direction at all. We didn't have people to show us what to do. So with amongst ourselves, we used to share our own stories, our, our own struggles. And then we used to have the solutions through storytelling what my experiences were. So I would tell you, well, I've been working at um, Blockbusters Video. This is what is going on there. They, are, they, have, they have a job there. Would you like to come and join us? Or something like that. So we used to network through that way. We never used to have m- mobile phones. So I couldn't call you to tell you all this and that. But yeah, I think it, it was better then. Mm-hmm. Because now I can just call you and don't need to see you. Mm-hmm. But then we had to meet mm-hmm. somewhere. And we share our own stories and our own struggles. And through those struggles and storytelling, mm. we had solutions to these issues that we had. Mm-hmm. And, you know, Lameko, uh, you know, one of the things um, we have a lot in common. First, we came about the same time coming to live here. And we both lived in London and we've ended up in Cheltenham. Mm. And that is no, co- we didn't plan this, did we? <laughs> That's just coincidence, is it? It's fate, yes. <laughs> uh, we've both raised British-born children here in the UK. What is your, you know, what? How, how do you see, I mean, what differences or do you see in them? Um, you know, if you think about how we grew up and how they are, and culturally, how they're really embracing our culture in themselves. Yeah. Um, let's say for for my son, let's say for uh, example, because he is is mixed race, and my um, daughter is. So they they have to embrace both cultures because they were they are born in England. They they were never exposed to that kind of um, culture in, in Kenya. I try to instill the, our cultural beliefs into them and they they're respectable kids and they know what kind of um people we are and what is expected of of them um until kenan went to kenya he didn't actually appreciate what kind of culture that we have and he's seen it for himself to see how the family values we have he still has it now um the difference culturally is that because he you are a product of your own en- environment, really. You can teach your kids so many things, but then they will go to school and pick up things from from uh, school. And as you know, as an African child in Kenya, not here, in Kenya, once you're born, you belong to the community. Mm-hmm. So if mm-hmm. anyone sees you doing anything wrong, they will tell you off. And if you do that in England, then you will be reported to to social <laughs> service. So those kind of things don't, don't happen. But whenever we have... Um, whenever... 
Kenyans meet together and their children are around, we tend to switch back to our Kenyan way of life. If I see any child doing anything, I will tell them, I will not have any fear of telling them because I know I know the parents would understand. Because I would expect yeah. you, if you let's say you were in town and you saw any of the or any of my daughters messing about, I would expect of, you to hold them accountable. Of, of course, I would. Yes, I would. The only difference would be that they 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 are they are not exposed to that kind of life, even though they know about it, mm. but they would not uh, live that life that we actually lived. You know, mm-hmm. so we we don't expect them to be the way we were, because then we we live through smacking and things like that, which is normal to us. But here is it has a terminology of child abuse, which mm-hmm. is something that I would not call that if if someone smacks me. I was speaking to an Irish friend of mine who said that um, they 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 went through the same lifestyle that we went through. In Kenya, mm-hmm. I've got an old Eng- English friend who said, oh, I-, "I used to be smacked as well." Mm-hmm. So I think it's a generation thing than uh, than a cultural thing. Mm-hmm. So older people used to discipline their 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 children the same way, um, but things things change with time with the with the legislation and things like that. Mm-hmm. So looking back now, what message would you give to a younger self? If you, you know, if you look back at your, you know, first time coming to UK now, what message, now having experienced all this time, what message would you give uh, to your younger self on your first day to the UK? I would not do anything differently. And that why is because of my lovely children. Otherwise, I wouldn't have had them if I didn't come to England. Mm-hmm. But if I would have had them in Kenya, then I would not really want it to um, come to England at all. Because my experience in England has been great. Mm-hmm. As I mean, yeah, but it's been a struggle to change, to revert to where I was mm-hmm. before. Mm-hmm. Because then I feel that the, my journey has been very fruitful. Mm-hmm. My journey to England has been really, really fruitful. But then now I want to start moving way back. So I want to start that journey going back to Kenya again. Mm-hmm. So mm-hmm. The, my younger self would be go to England, have your children and mm-hmm. go back with them to Kenya. That is for me. I think um, for me, my younger self. I I don't know. I think I should have been much. I could have been more mature. I think I was very naive when I first came to England. Um, what I've always loved about the UK is that the system works. Every everywhere you go, you know that you know whether it's a bank, the system works. Yes. Oh, um, or maybe we can't expect that of a country that hasn't been. Um, technology is now helping Kenya a lot, yeah. and I think things are working. But it's uh, one of the things um, as a parent um, of you know uh, the kids born here who have not experienced Kenya as much. I always feel like there is, there is that identity, and and is that there's as much as they're born here and their mm. influences here, there is that just um, I think we had more confidence mm. than than what the environment they're brought up. Yeah. I think the belief that was instilled in us maybe is that community because mm. you're not a a product of one person. You have a community that, you know, everybody is looking out for you. And for having that community, then that means as a person, 
your identity as a whole, mm. you feel just bigger than life. Yeah. Whereas here, because people tend to live, especially with small families and you are all individual in your own spaces, mm. that community spirit is sort of lost. Um, I mean, um, do you feel like that or is it, is it just me? I don't, I don't, I don't, I don't feel that really. I only feel it for for my for my children really, because mm. I mean the, the the identity thing is a big a big issue. Um, I was having a discussion. I've had this discussion with uh, both my kids uh, about their identity, what uh, what they feel, how they feel, why do they feel that they 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 belong to. I remember when we were having the the George Floyd thing at the park, mm. and I was talking to Kiran about. About because he he's had some incidents whereby somebody asked him where where are you from? For him, he's English. He was born here. You know, he is a mixed um, uh, man. So the so the issue of somebody trying to ask him where are you from? He knows that he was born here. So identity thing is is a massive thing for him. And the same thing when he went to Kenya, the villagers were calling him Zungu, and then <laughs> and then he he said why are they calling him Zungu? Because so so this this sense of belonging, this mm. sense of belonging can be a, a massive issue for our children. For me, mm. it's not an issue because then I I know where I'm coming from. I know mm. where I mm. will I will end up. But mm. for for my son and my daughter who were born in England and know that this is where they actually belong. They know they have another home in Kenya, but when he goes to Kenya, he knows that he's loved there and they know that they are both loved there. But then, mm. where do I belong? It is more of a problem to mix his children than to our black children who have no mixed heritage. So, but what's, what's Muzungu for anybody who doesn't so, know Muzungu. what Muzungu is? You've just made, brought so, in a new Swahili so, word there. So, Muzungu is a Swahili word for a white person. Mm. Uh, especially, Muzungu was meant to be someone who speaks in English. So, mm-hmm. it was um, because we were colonized by uh, by by Britain. It was a terminology that was referred to, uh, to the... Um, uh, what you, what was the term? Um, I won't say the term because I can't remember it. But it was being referred to as the people who colonized Kenya at the time, mm, mm. which were mostly English people. So that's and that's where the Muzungu, Muzungu the word what Muzungu, came from, yes. yeah, yeah, came, came from. from. So yes. for anybody who doesn't know what Muzungu is, yeah, there you are. So that's an um, a lesson there for you. Uh, one word that you can you can speak in uh, in uh, in a Swahili Muzungu. So what next? So as you said, now you've said that you're planning to be half and half in Kenya, yeah. UK. You know that's that's the future. That's the future for me. Yes. So when when it's very cold, I will run away and go to Kenya and uh, come back in the summer. I think it's for for me uh, or for us the generation, and I think uh, we've seen this with the Windrush generation who mm. came just to do the five years and go back. Mm. Uh, is an exciting time to be. I always say that I'm a, a product of both. I know I've lived, I've lived in the UK more than I've lived in Kenya. But at the end of the day, I remember my childhood and the goodness and all, you know, not having to deal with 
are issues of identity and the issues of belonging in Kenya. So I'm a product of both worlds. And for that reason, I don't see why I should, having children who are born here, I should choose where to live. Where I choose to live will be here and where I choose to live will be Kenya. Mm. So both places are my homes. And for me, that's what it is. Yeah. Do you do you do you feel do you feel more English or do you feel more Kenya? It's a question that I've been asked several times. Personally, I feel Kenyan because uh, that's my identity. Um, that's who I feel I am, and that's how, what I'm comfortable with. Um, my children feel they're English and they're Kenyan when when they are comfortable with that. Um, so they have an option. The, the The good thing in this is that we've given our children that option whereby they can be here or they can be in Kenya if they wish to do so. But for me, I feel more Kenyan than English because of the the way um, my experiences have been. So I will live most of my, half of my life in Kenya than half here. I think I I am Kenyan first because mm. that's what I always know and and I always I've always told people that you know I remember even when I first came to live here and then you apply for a job and there was no Kenyan box there's an yeah. African all of a sudden I became African, African you know from this this small country to a whole continent you know what to embrace mm. so I'm I've always I'll, I'll, I'll always be Kenyan you know, I don't think that takes away uh, our roots as our roots, uh, but also not to forget what uh, the experience of living here has given me. My, 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 my kids have been brought here. They don't, Kenya is far away from them, but it's part of them in me. Yeah. Yeah. Thank you. Thank uh, you it's been really great to speak to you, Lamek, about, you know, our travels, yes. our being in the UK. And anything else you want to add? Because I've really enjoyed this session. I've enjoyed the session. I had lots of things to talk about. But I think we need to have another session where we can explore other things. The in-betweens that we didn't talk about. Our life was not only about half an hour or no, I it's know. It's all summarized and compressed. I think what we've done, we've just introduced it. Mm. Then now, moving forward, then we'll go into specific subjects. I areas because I, I think there's a lot there. Thank you very much and I hope you'll invite me again. Thank you. Thank you for listening to I Migrate the Podcast. If you're enjoying the show, please share with a friend or subscribe. And if you're listening on Apple Podcasts, you can even write a review. Thanks, and we'll see you next episode. I Migrate the Podcast is hosted by Florence Nusamo. It is produced by Tyra at Foss Creative Studio and is brought to you by Lives of Colour.